So, I'll bet that most of us will go to great, great lengths to avoid a couple of things. Uh, the first thing I bet you that we go to great lengths to avoid is public embarrassment. I mean, if you go and Google it, you know how high on the rate of fear scale and everything is in public embarrassment. It's way up there. As a matter of fact, some people uh, describe social anxiety as this fear of embarrassment. And so most of us will do anything we can. Man, I don't want to be embarrassed. It's bad enough when it's just me and I feel stupid when I stub my toe. I don't want to do that in front of everybody else. And of course, when we do that, when we, when we restrict our life because of our fear of embarrassment, uh, sometimes we rob ourselves. Uh, we rob ourselves of opportunities, we rob ourselves of growth, and our, our life uh, shrinks a little bit. So that's the first thing. Most of us, you know, yeah, I'm not into public embarrassment. I, I don't really want that. Second thing, and this is my personal favorite to avoid, is personal pain. Man, most of us will do whatever's necessary to try and avoid pain, whether it's uh, emotional pain, or relational pain, or financial pain, or physical pain. I'm just dying today because everyone told me, hi, George, you're old now, you should get the, what is that, the shingle shot. <laughs> I don't want to have it, I think I'm just dying up here. But anything to avoid pain, I mean, most of us will, will kind of do that. But the problem is, though, that when we, when we avoid something that is going to be painful for us, maybe a conversation that we don't want to have, uh, maybe a, a wrestling through uh, some relational stuff, maybe uh, facing off financial uh, difficulties and realities, and, and we just kind of avoid it. Uh, but, but sometimes when we avoid that, we miss out on the growth that God has for us, and we probably miss out on blessing other people. And so I don't blame us. I mean, it's kind of natural. It's built in. But most of us will go to any rate to avoid embarrassment and personal cost and pain. And when people willfully enter into something that's like that, it's kind of shocking to us. Why is he doing that? Why is she doing that? How come he did that? Well, it's kind of a bit of a surprise. But, but what we need to understand as we enter into this 12th chapter of the Gospel of John is that Jesus is inviting us to enter into some rather shocking behavior. Some stuff that maybe normally we'd like to avoid as we try and protect ourselves a little bit. Now, how's your short-term memory? Because to, to really want to get what's going on, especially in some really weird words that Jesus says in this passage that give a lot of people a lot of trouble, I've got to give you a passage of scripture that that's, it, it, it's in the background of this event, but it's, it's so faint that it's easy to miss. And certainly, for sure, I've missed it many, many, many times. So what I need you to do, I'm going to read a passage of scripture, which lies in the passage, background of this passage, and we've got to kind of hold that in the back of our mind when we get into the Gospel of John. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so here's, here's the passage. And you might, if you have your Bibles, we're going to have it on the screen there, hopefully. It's, a, it's the book of Deuteronomy, okay? Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law. Deuto, duo, two, right? Okay, so this is a bit of the detail. And we go to chapter 15. And this, this passage, given interest rates and, and the bind the people are in and all those things, this passage is... It's a tremendous, it's a tremendous passage. So let's see what God's law is for his people regarding this. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. I'll be heading down to the royal right away. <laughs> and this is how it's to be done. Every creditor, every creditor, he'll take the initiative, she'll take the initiative. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. 
They shall not require payments from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payments from a foreigner. Like, I got my Canadian citizen, so. <laughs> but you must cancel any of your debt to fill Israel owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God has given you, you possess as your inheritance. He will richly bless you. He's going to give you the riches. It's going to be a great time. You're going to have the wherewithal to follow this command. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all of these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. And he will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among you, your fellow Israelites in any town of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. This is where he got me. Huh. The seventh year for the canceling debts near, so I'm not going to lend the money because, you know, it's too short a time. Don't do it. That the cancelling of debts is near so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites. And give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you. And you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to those and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Okay? So you've got to keep that passage of scripture, keep that command in the back of your mind as we, as we dive into it. This whole uh, deal here that, that God wants the poor cared for. Death's candle, people set free, all of that kind of stuff. Now, Passover, which as you're going to see, we're going to enter into this whole week of Passover here. Passover was one of the particular times that the Jewish people were especially generous to the poor. Makes sense, it's Passover, their debts of sin were being forgiven by the Passover lamb and all these kind of things. And so so Passover is a particular time of generosity towards the poor. Okay, you got that? Keep that in your mind. You got to keep it for a while because it'll take a while before we actually get there. Now, let's take a look at this passage of scripture, which uh, we know uh, very, very well. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Here we go. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Remember Bethany? Where Lazarus, whom he just raised from the dead a few weeks before, uh, whom Jesus raised from the dead, lived. And here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus did the man thing and was reclining at the table. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet. Now, you understand, remember how they used to eat, right? They used to kind of have a low table, you know, like second step, and they kind of lay down around it. They'd prop themselves on one, one elbow, and they'd reach around and, and eat, and so everyone would be sitting around, laying around like that. Okay, that's how it went. So Mary comes in, and she anoints uh, this with bits of perfume Jesus' feet, because <coughs> that's where she could get access. She poured it on Jesus' feet, and then she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is shocking behavior. 
On the part of Mary, there's several things that she did which would be absolutely shocking and flabbergast those that were around her. The first thing that she did was that what she did with this, uh, her family fortune, with this expensive perfume, the things that was worth a year's wages. Kind of her retirement plan, her security, if anything would have happened to Lazarus, since it seems that she was unmarried, and, and if you didn't have a male looking after you in those days, and you're a woman, and it went, you were in deep trouble, and this was her security. And she gives that up. You know, I was listening to a lecture by a guy by the name of Andrew McCourt, and he said this about this. He said, when it comes to thinking about your stuff, hear this, see, see if this is true. We either worship it or we worship with it. I thought that was quite a, quite a statement. When we think about those things that God has entrusted to us, we worship it. We either you know, make it the Lord and that this is what we're doing. We're going to work towards it. We're going to keep it. We're going to protect it. We're going to do all those things. Or we take whatever it is God has entrusted to us and we use it to worship him with it. That's hard for some of us. 10% a tithe. Holy jumping. You, got, you know what? The Economist magazine. I listen to that podcast all the time. To my horror, they put it behind a paywall. Two bucks a month. I agonized over that for about three or four weeks. 24 bucks, but next time that's half right. And God said, hey, you know what? A tithe. I mean, net, gross, whatever. You do whichever one you want, if you get to whatever. And then, and then there's, there's none of that, but you know, there's our, our tithes, our 10%, and our offerings over and above what we just tithed. Like, holy, now we're getting serious. Now we're, you know, we're getting into the 15, 20% stuff or whatever. I don't know, as the law puts things in front of us. And then, and then we've got to think about, well, hang on a minute, that's just representative. And the reason that God wants us to give sacrificially like that is to remind us, this ain't your stuff, Jones. This isn't your house, this isn't your car, this isn't your subscription to your comments. It's mine. And you are just managers. And I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity to look after it, and I expect you to look after it in the way that I would look after it. Now, it's, it's easy to sort of oh, glance over that and think, well, you know, here we go, the preacher again. But just, just think for a minute. I don't know, maybe for some of you, if you've got the gift of giving and stuff, maybe it's easy. And, and I tell you, there is a great joy in giving and, and seeing the difference it makes. And there is, there is a marvelous side to it. But man, it's not always that easy. We have, to, we have to grapple with the reality that whatever I have isn't mine. Think about that. You know, a few years ago, I read um, the book Enemies of the Heart. And one of the enemies of the heart that he writes about there is greed. And it's interesting because he said, nobody says, I'm greedy. I mean, you'll get guys, you know, yeah, well, you know, I struggle with lust, you know, I get porn addictions or whatever, or I have anger issues or whatever. Not many people stand up and say, you know what, I am really, really, really greedy. <laughs> we got code words. I'm careful. <laughs> I'm frugal. I watch my pennies. And in this book, Emmys of the Heart, this was helpful to me. See if it'll be helpful for you. Here's the test. Here's the test whether you've got this attitude of, of this is God's or this is mine. Ready? Here's the test. When you get a windfall, you get your income tax back, your uncle that you never heard of before dies, leaves you 10,000 bucks or whatever. 
Do you automatically assume that that is for your use? Or do you at least consider the possibility you're supposed to pass it on to somebody else? I'm heading to the bank. And when I read that, I thought, man, that is a good question to ask myself. When all of a sudden some opportunity comes up, some windfall comes up, or just my, my regular paycheck comes up, would you give me? Is that, like, is that for me? or do I, is, maybe, maybe it should all just get passed on this month. I don't know. How does she get to this place where she pours out this, this perfume? Probably her most prized possession. Maybe the family's most prized possession. I think there's a couple of reasons. One is, I mean, obviously she loves Jesus very much. We, we've seen that, you know, disciples of love, all that kind of stuff. But I think she's overwhelmed not only with love but with thankfulness. Because you see, as I said, if, if Lazarus would have died, if he would have stayed dead, she would have hooped. Because you needed a guy to look after the family to bring home, the, or you could be destitute and end up doing all kinds of nasty stuff in that culture in order to, to make it. And so compared to what Jesus has done, raising the dead, providing everything she needs, compared to what Jesus has done, even though it was worth a year's wages, it was small compared to her thankfulness to Jesus. And sometimes I think that I have to challenge myself with that, is that how, how truly thankful am I for all that Jesus has done, is doing, will do for me? Because if I can get that right in my heart, if I can get that order right in my brain, if I can look at things through that lens of what Jesus has done for me, of all that stuff we've just been thinking about, if I look at everything I, I have given to manage through that lens, suddenly, maybe the grasp loosens up. A little bit. True thanksgiving is a doorway into the shocking attitude and use of what God entrusts me and you to give. So she cast in her security. And that was shocking. Shocking. It cost her a lot. There's financial pain involved in this. But equally shocking was this embarrassing action that she undertook. She didn't care what people said. She pours out this expensive perfume and then she lets her hair down and she wipes Jesus' feet with it. And I was reading Tom Wright's commentary on this. He said, this is like a woman standing up in the worship service, hiking up her long skirt and dancing a jig past her thighs, maybe on the communion table, I don't know. That, like, really, that's, that's kind of how, whoa, that's quite the meditation. Duff, when you're up here, keep your pants on. We don't want to... <laughs> this, this, is, this is the shock of it and, and the embarrassment of it and, and the shame of it. But her love and thanksgiving overwhelmed her fear of public embarrassment. I think it does as well to ask ourselves... Does my fear of what people think of me hold me back from expressing my love to Jesus in ways in which I'm led in worship? Now, we understand. The Apostle Paul let everything be done and decently in order and so on, and we're ready with that ammo to shut things down and all that kind of stuff. And Yeah, things do need to be done that. But I'll tell you what. It's quite often I have to examine my heart. Am I 
going to let legitimate fear shut me down. Because here's the truth, you will be criticised. And if nobody else criticises you, you'll probably condemn yourself if you're kind of a tight guy like me. It's a legitimate fear. But I have to look into my heart when it comes time and we're invited to, to enter into this time of corporate worship which God has had, I mean for 4,000 years God has said a central aspect for your life and faith is corporate worship is getting together and living like praise and looking at the sacrifices that you've done and sociologists look at it, look at Bibi and everyone that's a part of corporate worship and they score higher on every single Christian virtue that's there because it's essential for us but, but here's the thing do I hold my back my worship do I sing out like I should? I tell you, it's a battle for me because I don't sing that well. I mean, if they forget to turn the mic off, people are phoning, the lights are phoning in. Shut that guy down, shut that Online, I mean, they're in agony over there. But I realize, hey, you know what? I don't sing you know, for that. I sing to Jesus and he likes it. And if you sing better than me, your job is to sing louder than me. Shut me up, drown me out. So I don't know, that's kind of a hang-up for me. Maybe you've got a different hang-up. Maybe sometimes you're from a tradition where, where you, you, you're used to kneeling in worship. And you just feel like in this song, in this moment, as I, as I come, as I'm humble to think that it's because of Jesus, I can ascend up to the holy hill. Maybe you're, maybe you're humble and you, you just feel like you should kneel, but everyone else is standing up and dancing around. Maybe I hold back instead of just kneeling down. Maybe like Dave said, you know, raise your arms and I'm just, I'm just kind of uptight and I, and I, can't, I can't raise my arm and I just I feel embarrassed. Why would I do that? Did I remember the Odin today? Am I wearing white? Well, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe while the rest of us roof scratches are doing our arm thing, the Holy Spirit's telling you, you know, just sit and be quiet and let me whisper to your heart, no matter who looks at you or what they think about whether or not you're worshipping or not. What God wants us to do is to look into ourselves and to not allow fear or embarrassment or whatever stop me from entering into whatever expression of praise and worship that I need to offer at this particular time. Because you see, it's when we do that that this place gets filled with an aroma of praise. I mean, it's kind of interesting, there's that little phrase in there, did you notice that? You know, it talks about, and the fragrance of that perfume uh, filled the house. There's a pile of ink been spilled onto that phrase, trying to figure out what he means by that. And so you can say, well, this is just his way of saying that, that what she poured out was absolutely extravagant. That, it, you know, it was so extravagant. And it's emphasized. the other guys say, no, 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 no. But if you look at those times in, in the other Gospels, when, when it tells this story, Jesus says the words... Um, hey, I'm going to tell you what, leave it alone because wherever the gospel is told, the story of what she's done, this worship of what she's done, everyone's going to hear about that. And they're saying that this is John's way of saying the same thing, that, that this testimony of praise has spread throughout. I think that is this aroma of praise that everybody becomes aware of. And maybe if we would free ourselves, in whatever way that is, if we would free ourselves to worship without, without fear of the eyes of others and, and, I, and honestly the eyes of ourself, the aroma of praise fills this place and people get drawn in and people are ministered to 
And people encounter the living Christ in ways that they didn't expect because their heart is full of sorrow or it's full of fear or it's full of guilt or it's full of stuff, you know, who knows what. And all of a sudden, you know, Psalm 73, you know, that my life was really messed up and all the bad guys were winning and I was ready to curse you and I was going to betray the kids by saying that God's a waste of time until I entered the house of praise. And then I saw it was different because I encountered the living God. When I come to my worship gathering, does my attitude, do my actions, do my words, do my responses, does my focus on Jesus and not on myself contribute to an aroma of adoring praise that fills this room? It's so easy to have my heart twisted up. You know, on Tuesday, we have staff meetings, we start with the devotion, then we pray for you, and I pray for all the wandering ones, we pray for whatever things we know, we put prayer requests in, you know, put your thing there and put your prayer request in, we pray for it, we really do. And then, and then, we, and then we get into the business. And, and so the passage that we are looking at is a passage that's all about God answering prayer, about Jesus answering prayer. And I, I found myself arguing against it. Yeah, but I prayed for this and did my and, and and as I was going on about this for about five minutes, it suddenly struck me and I and I said to the crew, I said, What is going on in my heart that I would take a passage of scripture that's obviously intended to be a blessing? And because it doesn't pan out the way I think it should. What's going in my heart that it doesn't, it's no longer a blessing, it's a problem. Now, Chris is a nice guy. Most men, he says, oh, Alan, you know, I think you're just really wrestling, you know, with, with the question of an answer prayer. Scott, who knows me much better, says, oh, let's not let him off the hook that easy. What is going on in our hearts? When we take things that are intended by God Almighty to be a blessing... And somehow something's going on in my life, some disappointment, some frustration, some, I don't, so I, who knows what, all kinds of different stuff, I've got so much junk in there, that things that are intended to be a blessing become a problem, become a curse, become something I don't want to deal with, become something that I avoid. And this is this whole deal. If I'm going to offer up an aroma of praise, I've got to ask what's going on in my heart that I wouldn't receive this opportunity to climb up to the holy hill and praise my Jesus. What's going on? Mary got past all of that and let down on her to the shock of everybody else. And it really was a shocking surprise, a shocked response. Let's pick it up in verse, verse 4 here. Let's go. Here we go. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Hey, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Haven't you looked outside? Didn't you notice the beggars? Haven't you been to the temple recently and seen all those poverty, um, you know, the lame and the blind and who are destitute? Haven't you seen that? And he didn't say this, though, because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
as a keeper of the money bag, it's amazing that Jesus let him do that to make sure that he stayed in the inner circle. Because if you handle the money, you're in the, you're in the inner part, right? He used to help himself to it, to whatever's put in it. He used to steal from it. Leave it alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll not always have, you, sorry, you will always have the poor among you. But you'll not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Here's what's interesting. John points out Judas, and he said, you know, it's because he was a thief and he could see his cash flow diminishing. But if you go over to Mark, you'll see that actually all of the disciples criticize Mary. They all have this reasonable objection. What in the world are you doing? As they look at it with with this critical eye, what are you doing? That's $70,000. Do you know how many people in Grand Prairie you can feed for $70,000? You can take that whole downtown crew and feed them incredibly for $70,000. Let alone, we just had Fred over here for compassion. $70,000? We can take care of every need of a child for a, of 120 kids for a year for $70,000. It's a lot of money. Uh, so there's this reasonable question. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing spending $70,000 on, on a single worship act? Let alone a single worship service. I mean just the act. Let alone the meal and the food and all this kind of stuff. What in the world are you doing? Judas's criticism fell out of this selfish heart. But not the other disciples. I suppose we would have to guess at what their motives is. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. It tells us Judas. It doesn't tell us the rest. But it sure is easy to criticize somebody else's actions, isn't it? Especially if what they're doing isn't our burden. And if it's not our burden, then we're like, what are you doing? Don't you understand? It's so much better if you would have done this instead of that. But Jesus comes in. He wants them to zoom out a little bit. He said, listen, you need to understand something. She's doing this because of a sacrificed life. Mary is doing more than she knew. She's preparing me for my burial. And so she's anointing me with this oil. Most scholars say she started at the feast and so much she went up and anointed her head. You know who got anointed? Kings. And what Jesus is saying is that what's going on here is that Mary is starting to prepare me for my throne because my throne is a cross and I'm going to redefine for you what it is to be a king to be a king is to serve to be a king is to prepare for the needs of other people to be a king is to sacrifice yourself for the sake of others and Mary is just setting the tune for me to do that because I'm a king who's going to sacrifice himself. And I'm a king that we're going to see next week. It's going to redefine it by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Because I'm a different kind of king. And you won't have me here all the time. And this is the one shot deal. 
And sometimes it's a one-shot deal that's good to be extravagant in worship when resources and time and energy could be sent in other ways that seem more beneficial. Sometimes it takes discernment, but sometimes it's appropriate to spend a year's worth of salary on a worship service. It's kind of hard to imagine, but the truth is it is not always so that the greatest good for the greatest number of people is the right measurement to use with the things that Jesus entrusts to us. Now, now that you're all mad, those of you that care for the poor, pull up that short-term memory. You got it? Deuteronomy? Wait, did you notice how it ended? Jesus quoted Deuteronomy in this conversation. He said, you'll always have the poor among you. I was really helped with this by a, an article by a New Testament scholar by the name of Robert Wafawanaka, who is a, a professor of theology at Samuel de Proctor's at Black Theological School, Virginia. He wrote this article, because it's both in that passage. Is the biblical perspective on poverty that there shall be no poor among you, or is it you will always have the poor with you? Because God says both in that Deuteronomy passage, didn't he? Did you notice that? So which is it? What do you do? So, okay. Well, what? How? Here's what, what went on here. Here's, when we think about these words of Jesus, leave it alone. She's anointing me for my burial. The poor you'll always have with you. Now, there's kind of a spectrum where people experience Jesus' words. On the one hand, some people say, man, that is just a really callous statement. And how does that even fit with Jesus? That doesn't sound like the Jesus I know, the soft-hearted guy and stuff. And how, The poor you always have with you, it's no big deal, so don't criticize it, because hey, they're going to be there anyway, so you're doing the right thing. So that's kind of a, some people say, yeah, it just, it just is, and it's kind of a callous position, but that's the way it is. And so sometimes we just spend a lot of bucks, and even though we don't feed the poor. So that's just, because they're going to be poor anyhow, because they're addicted, or they're this, or they're that, or whatever reason, whatever. So too bad, Charlie, this is what we're doing. Kind of callous. Other people say, no, 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 it's not, it's not like that. Jesus is just stating a fact. He's just making an observation that, look, there's always going to be poor people. Always going to be poor people. But here's the thing. What Wafa Vananka argues, and I think he's right, is he's saying that Jesus is giving a serious indictment for everybody listening, for their failure to keep the biblical mandates regarding the poor. It's not a callous statement. It's not even just a casual, sad observation. It's a rebuke and an indictment. Now, I have to argue this point, because when I was doing this with Hockley and Scott, Hockley was dead against it, but he's wrong. I'm right. <laughs> So I explain to you, okay? Here we go. Try and, can, you, can, you, can you track with me? Okay, this is gonna take a little bit of focus, okay? Just, but stick with me because this is, the, this is an important thing. How, how does that fit with Jesus, okay? What is it, you know? Okay, here we go. Number one, the diversion of funds from the poor to this prophetic act of worship indicates that normally care for the poor is a high priority. As a matter of fact, it is a sacred duty. 
The reason that it even came up, the reason that the question came up, aside from Judas, I mean, we've got Judas aside, but for the other guys, the reason it came up, it's like, whoa, what are you, what are you doing? There's poor people. We go, we go to the temple all the time. It's Passover. It's Passover. It's Passover, and we're supposed to be caring for the ball. That is God's sacred duty. It's interesting because what Ivanka says, he said, do you know when we find um, uh, manuscripts, old manuscripts of, of the Torah, the most common ones we find have to do with caring for the poor. Why is that? Because those are the ones they use the most. I didn't check them up on that, but you're going to write a peer-reviewed article in the review and expose to say people jumping all over you. It's not right. So they understood that, hey, care for the poor, this whole deal, it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay, number two. When Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, the poor you'll always have with you, what Jesus is doing is he drags the entire passage into that meaning, okay? He's just not quoting verse 11 and saying, oh yeah, too bad, you know, the poor are going to be with you. No, he's taking that whole thing and saying, hey, listen, God's going to bless you in this land and you're going to have lots of stuff and so you don't be tight-fisted and you don't be mean and you don't worry about debts and you don't worry about interest and all that stuff. You just be caring for the poor because there should be no poor among you as blessed as you are. And Jesus drags that whole section in with them and they understood that so what is that section the section is this people mess up i mess up you mess up whatever reason sometimes it's our fault sometimes it's whatever people mess up and sometimes that messing up and some of you know this means you get into debt and if you get into debt that you can't handle, the Bible says you're enslaved to the lender. You lose choice. You lose freedom. You lose hope. Desperation sets in. You fight with your spouse. You kick your dog. You better not. Because of the stress of this debt. And you're enslaved and you can't. You can't move, you can't be who you want to be, you can't do what you want to do. So God's solution is every seven years, you're going to get a clean slate. That's why the bankruptcy laws are seven, seven years. Get on this. You're going to get a clean slate. You see, <laughs> there's no need for the poor people among you. For the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. And yeah, you go along and the economy has to work and all that stuff and it's more complicated than I understand. And uh, I don't know, but what I do know is that God says people need a clean slate. And they need hope restored. And there shouldn't be starving among you. Because the land you have is richly blessed. And so when Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you, he's saying, and that's because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Instead, you are hard-hearted. 
and you are tight-fisted and you are not being open-handed and you are not providing for needs. Now, I, I know it's complicated addiction. I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But God help me. God help me. If I can use all of these free enterprise, conservative, capitalist values which I cherish to crush other people. God help me. God help us. Because we live in a land that is richly blessed. And God expects of us crazy, shocking behavior. God invites us to shocking behavior in our praise and worship and in the way in which we praise our God in our care for the poor. Because in this land, the land the Lord God has given us, there should be no poor among you. So, <laughs> let's take some hints. Let's this day consider doing something shocking. You can do something shocking all the time because we have a, a benevolence team, do a great job. Catherine leads it. Right now, we've got, we got a deal. A family's moved to town. They don't have any stuff. They need, I think they need everything, right? Like spoons, things, bed. They got kids? What's, what's the scoop? You know? Okay, got that? You got stuff in your basement that you haven't sat on for quite a while. We'll give you that phone number and you can give it to them. Or every month when you give, you can designate money to our benevolence fund. You know, back in the good old days, 10% of our, of our offerings we used to give to the poor of the Peace Region. And then we ended up doing a daycare for single moms and put the money into that and stuff. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's something insane the Holy Spirit's laying on your heart right now. I don't know. Well, how about this? We got coats for kids. See that? Winter coming on? Lord, look at that already. They need gently used winter wear. They need it for adults too, especially guys actually, if you talk to them. You want to go buy a coat? I mean, how about you keep your old one for another year and you give the new one that you were going to buy? Well, that's craziness. Yeah. Especially since you can't tell anybody you did it. Coats for kids. I don't know. And let me get the next one. Just right out here, just right like now. Oh, <laughs> got all this female stuff here. <laughs> Anyhow, you know, female stuff. One in seven Canadians can't, don't have access. And it costs these women a lot. We just had a story this, this last week of somebody, they lost their job because they couldn't show up because I don't understand, that's, you know, I'm raising a totally male world, but there's a yeah, 
You want to talk about something embarrassing? We should all march down there. There's a bunch of guys and pie all this stuff and bring it. I'd rather hike my skirt up. <laughs> it's a need. Right now. You know, we got seniors lunch and then we got the thingy majiggy, the Christmas concert thing. You can hop down to the store and be back before we shut down. But if you're not into that, the dignity dive. Socks and underwear, got the yellow bags out there. Don't, don't go away. Something. Whatever's appropriate for your ability, your heart, your, I don't know, something, something. Something to someone, somewhere. Because the land the Lord your God has given you is rich. And there should be no poor among you. And there is. Because we don't listen to Deuteronomy. So, Jesus offers us an invitation to shocking behavior. He offers us that invitation to shocking behavior as we worship together corporately and we do what we can to search our hearts and ensure that we contribute to this aroma of praise and not an aroma of criticism or skepticism or because we love Jesus and we are so thankful. And God invites us to some shocking behavior because there'll always be poor because the new creation's not here yet and so it's not going to work yet so the school's going to be poor but by God we need to do more than our bit Lord we uh Read this passage. It's a, it's a famous passage, and a passage of love and adoration and worship. And, and we think about Mary and you know how brave she must have been. And, uh, yeah, and, and that's so true. But um, it's not just so that we can say wasn't Mary a great person. It's so that we can open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, to examine them and to. Um, And maybe it invites us into some shocking, maybe even shameful behavior in the eyes of others. And, and, and very often, like, we're, we're Canadians and British and <laughs> shocking and condemning to our own eyes, which is most of the time the problem, I think. So today, as we come to the table, as we sing another song, as we look at this afternoon and what we can do, Lead us into some shocking behavior for the sake of your glory. Amen.